So we are continuing in the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 this morning. If you would turn there with me, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as you get there, you know, a, a hypothetical or maybe not a hypothetical for you, uh, if someone approached you and started talking to you incessantly, how long would it take you for you to tell them to be quiet? So someone comes up to you and they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and you try and get away, but they don't really get the hint and they just keep talking. How long before you're just like, okay, you need to be quiet, right? At what point does your patience with them end? And you know, if it's a complete stranger, it's probably not that long of a time that you would bear with that. Um, maybe you would, but you'd probably find a tactful way to, to stop them. Uh, maybe you would make some kind of excuse and, and move on. Uh, maybe you'd be like, okay, well, uh, oh, my phone's ringing. I better go answer this. It's probably my spouse. You know, you, you try and find some nice way to say it. If it's a friend, you'd probably endure that a little bit longer, but you might also respond to them a little bit more sharply and say, uh, say a little bit more curtly, uh, hey, you're talking way too much and I just need some quiet. Uh, let's, let's move on. But as to our patience, there are variables that impact that, right? Uh, it, if we're tired and hungry, our patience is probably less. Um, at least that's true for me. So I try and make sure I get enough sleep and I try and make sure that I'm always well fed and everybody's the happier for it. Uh, so, so that can inf- impact it. Also, just what your general disposition is towards others. If you're introverted or extroverted, right? If you're excited by talking to strangers or you are fearful of talking to strangers, right? That might impact how you feel as well. Uh, if you've had a long and stressful week, that might impact how you respond. But as we think about that in our own context, what, what about God? What is God's patience towards his people coming to him? How long do you think it takes for him to tire of his people coming to him in prayer? And perhaps you felt this way about God. Perhaps you felt that God does not want to hear from you in prayer uh, because you're being kind of like this annoying gnat in his ear. And so you, you avoid going to him because you don't want to be an irritant to him. Or maybe you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to prayer and you you neglect it, not because you're afraid of being annoying, but just because you don't feel it necessary to your day-to-day life. But today I want us to see in the scripture this, that God's will is our joyfully seeking him in prayer. God's will is our joyful seeking him in prayer. So let's turn to our passage, and I want to read for us First Thessalonians 5. I'm going to reread verse 16, which I know It's a very long verse, so it's going to take a lot of extra time, but I'm going to read 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
So if we remember where we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul's been touching upon some points of uh, the relationship that the Thessalonians ought have within the church and also ought have outside of the church and ways in which they need to be obedient to God. He began at the uh, beginning of our of our kind of this section of instruction in verse 12 where he urges the uh, consideration, the remembering of those over them in the Lord. He has urged them to build up the church by helping those who are weak, those who need instruction, those who need admonishment. And he has urged them most immediately, what we looked at last time was he urged them to rejoice always. And when we discussed that issue of rejoicing always, we touched upon this point. That the ability, our, our ability to obey that command rests in no small part in the commands that we have today that we're going to be looking at. That is to pray without ceasing. We can rejoice when we are seeking God in prayer with all thanksgiving. So they're not isolated commands, but they build upon one another and they build up into this, the will of God for us. And so it's very important for us to pay attention and grasp what Paul is calling us to and how to do that. But let's turn to our passage and see the first exhortation. Pray without ceasing. So prayer, verse 17. Paul tells the church to pray without ceasing or pray constantly. Uh, pray unceasingly. And such a simple command behooves our greater attention to it. And we must first understand what it is to pray. When we talk about prayer, let's start there with the definition. What does it mean to pray? And most simply, prayer is communication with God. Prayer is communication with God. And when we think about prayer, right? So when I say that word, what probably comes to mind first in our minds is the idea or the, the type of prayer that we would call, uh, or if we were you know, dissecting it, uh, so in the case of what we're doing now, intercessory prayer, or prayer of request, prayer of supplication, meaning we're going to God and we're asking something from Him, right? So when we talk about prayer, that's first thing that really comes in our mind, I would say. So so if I said, everyone right now, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer, what you're going to think is, let's go to the Lord and ask Him something. And that's true. That's part of prayer. But when we talk about prayer, we're also talking about praise. We praise God in our prayer. We're also talking about thanksgiving. We go to God and we thank him uh, for that which he has given unto us. We talk about confession. We go to God and we confess our sins. We could even think about lament. We can go to God and lament in our prayer. So if we take our simple definition, right? Prayer is communication with God. Communication entails all those things, right? So, so if we're praising God, we're communicating with God in that way. And so, uh, we're expressing something to someone. And in the case of what Paul is talking about in our passage, right? Our communication, when we pray, our communication is with God. We talk to God the Father. That's what Jesus directs us to do in the Lord's Prayer. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father, who art in heaven. Why do we pray to God? 
Why do we pray to God? Because we know that He alone can act to change our circumstances. We know that He alone is worthy of all praise and honor, and so He is worthy of worship alone. So we go to Him alone. Psalm 96, verse 5 reminds us, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And if you look at Psalm 96, 5 there, that word Lord is all in capitals, and it is indicative of the divine name of God. So the name that God revealed to Moses at the time of the burning bush. And what does it say of the Lord? He made the heavens. The gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He has created all things. By His word, all that is around us is both in being created and being sustained, remaining created. Uh, The atoms and molecules in your body don't disperse to the universe around us because God is God. Because He made the heavens and He sustains them. Because we are dependent on Him and He has not failed. No other God of this world can accomplish anything. All the gods of the peoples, all that our society worships are worthless idols. But our God, our Lord, made the heavens. There is this great scene in the book of 1 Kings 18. And if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at some of that. So 1 Kings 18. And this is the, the section of the scripture where the prophet Elijah has his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And the people of Israel, they had turned from serving the one true God to serving this false Lord. And the challenge is posed. An altar set up and a sacrifice is prepared. And the gauntlet is issued. The challenge is issued. Whoever lights, whichever God lights the altar on fire, burns up the offering, that one is the true God and worthy of worship, worthy of service, worthy of obedience. Well, the prophets tried their best to no effect. First Kings 18, 27 to 29 and at noon elijah mocked them saying cry aloud for he is a god either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened and they cried aloud, that is the prophets of Baal, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. For all of the raving and the lunacy of these prophets, nothing happens. Because the gods of the people are worthless idols. And after they fail, 
It's Elijah's turn. And he instructs the servants to get some uh, jars of water and to begin pouring it on the altar and on the offering. So much water, he has a trench, uh, a trench dug around the altar and the trench fills up. There's a little moat surrounding this uh, altar and this offering. And the point is this. No human person would be able to light that offering. No, so, so there could be no trick. There wasn't a little remote start that, you know, right, that he didn't have a little remote start in his pocket ready to hit the, hit the light. Turn it on, turn it on and blast it. First Kings 18, 36 through 39 tells us, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, sorry. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. All of the gods of the people are worthless idols, but our Lord made the heavens. He is God. He is the only God. He alone is God. He is God of gods. And so, why do we go to God in prayer? Because He is the only one who listens and can act. Right? The prophets of Baal, as they're raving and, and cutting themselves to get attention, no one paid. No one, no one paid attention. No one answered. There was no listening and there was no responding. But when Elijah prayed, God heard and acted. So we pray to him. And if you are in the midst of an impossible situation, he alone can help. He is omnipotent, right? He is all powerful. There is nothing that he cannot do that is not in accord with his character. He is all wise. The scripture says that the foolishness of God is wiser than all the wisdom of men. If we could even say that there is any foolishness in God. He is good and loving. We get our understanding of what good is because God is good. And notice that there's a close connection between the word God and good. There's a reason for that. And he is love. You can seek the help of others, but there is no help like the Lord our God. All the gods of this world are worthless idols. They can give no help, and so they are deserving of no praise or honor, no worship. For why should we give worth to the worthless? So pray to God. That's what Paul says here, right? And this is an, what we call an imperative. It's a command. This is not a suggestion, uh, but it is a command. And he says, pray. The imperative. Pray. And he qualifies it. How often are we to pray? Once a day? 
at mealtimes? Constantly, without ceasing. Paul has actually used the same word here way back at the beginning of the letter in 1 Thessalonians 1-2. He says, we give thanks to God always for you, uh, always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So what Paul said back in chapter 1 that he and the missionaries were doing on their behalf, going to God and praying for them, thanking God for them, he is now here commanding what he practices. He says, we constantly, without ceasing, pray for you, brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica. So you too pray without ceasing. And we might ask that question, why constantly? Why without ceasing? Because we are in constant need of God. Because we ought always to praise God. Worship is not an hour on Sunday. Worship is something we're always to be about. We also find in the Gospels, Jesus telling us to be persistent in our prayers. So Jesus, the Son of God, tells us, be persistent in prayers. And again, if you want to turn there, that's Luke 18. And it's a little bit of a longer passage, so uh, you can look at that. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Jesus says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose art. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here, this parable, we actually get the purpose of the parable at the very beginning, right? In verse 1, he says, that this parable he told to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus says here, if an unjust earthly judge could be swayed by the persistence, by the nagging of a widow who is seeking justice, how much more do you think God will answer his children who call out to him. And this is not to suggest that God is an unjust judge, right? That's not what we're to get from that. He says that evil earthly men act this way, give justice, act in right. How much more do you think God will answer the cries of his children, the prayers of his children? 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, go to God in prayer. Go to him and make known your request, because he will answer. Praise his holy name. Talk with God. Approach him in reverential worship, praying and requesting Uh, and treating him for those things that you need. And make this a constant practice. When any circumstance comes up in your life, pray. Pray without ceasing. When you're tempted, pray. 
When something bad befalls you, pray. When something good befalls you, pray. When you rise from bed, pray. When you lay down to sleep, pray. Let prayer be the rhythm of your life. It will make all the difference in the world. But does this mean that you should go about with your eyes closed and your heads bowed? No, right? That's, that's one way that we pray. Does this mean that you never talk to anyone else because you're always in prayer to God? No, right? We're not, we don't want to take this to an extreme folly. Does this mean you shouldn't eat, sleep, or drink because you should always be in prayer? Again, no. That's the, the foolishness of extremism, right? But what it does mean, here's what this means, here's what this looks like, is that it should be natural, Christian, for you to go to God. It should be the inclination of your heart and mind that you go to Him. And so what if you're not there? right? If, what if you tend to see prayer as kind of the last option in a long list of things? What if you're too busy to pray? Uh, and let me just say here on that last part, you're never too busy to pray. You think you will accomplish something with, without the hand of God. You're foolish. You're thinking foolishly. James 4, 13 through 16 reminds us, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So understand that you're never too busy to pray because it is only by the hand of God that you will find any kind of success, find any kind of um, good in those things. So in everything, seek the Lord in prayer. And again, what if you're, what if you're not there? What if the inclination of your heart, when, when something happens, your first inclination isn't to go to God in prayer? Pray about that. Go to God and ask Him to deepen in you the desire to be in prayer. Because it should be natural to us who are in Christ. Understand, right? That, that's the qualifier. It is not natural to us who are not in Christ to go to God. It is not natural to our flesh to go to God in prayer. So I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, if you trust in God as your Savior, then it should be natural for you to go to Him in prayer. If something good happens, the first inclination of your heart should be, thank you, God. And if something bad happens, the first inclination of your heart should be, help me, God. So if that's not you, if that's not you yet, pray. Ask God. Say, God, I don't, I don't desire prayer in this way. Help me to, to have that. Some really practical ways here to get started with this is to schedule time for prayer, right? So, Make sure you take some time to pray every day. Uh, my practice has been here most recently that I want to at least have two times before work and after work, just because that's a good chunk of time in between, to spend time in prayer. Five, ten minutes, maybe longer. If you, if you are in the midst of, of praying and, and it 
moves you to a longer time. But at least schedule five to ten minutes twice a day to spend in prayer. And yes, even the busiest person can spare five or ten minutes. Watch one less show and you'll get there. Get up earlier in the morning if you have to. It's one of the most important things that you will do in a day, so attend to it. And then pray throughout the day. Right? If you're driving somewhere and you're alone, that's a perfect opportunity to communicate with God, to talk to Him. Just make sure you are paying attention where you're driving to. Put down the phone, close Instagram, and pray. Pray without ceasing. It's not just an imperative. And it's not just a command that Paul gives us. It's God's will for us, and we'll get there. But the second thing that we see uh, today is that we are called to give thanks. So thanksgiving, in the first part of verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. All right, when we think of thanksgiving, we normally think of turkey, right? November, uh, late fall, we think of... Uh, getting together with family and friends, and that's Thanksgiving, right? And maybe we do offer some thanks during that time, or is at least more, uh, reference more, and so maybe more on our mind. But Paul here doesn't say give thanks during the month of November. He says give thanks in all circumstances. And that seems kind of strange, right? Because in all circumstances, how do we give thanks when we've just lost our job? We've just lost our best friend. We've gotten a bad diagnosis at work. Uh, or at, at the doctor's office, uh, we've gotten a bad, um, uh, a, a bad client, a, a lawsuit in the mail. We've gotten uh, any other of the evil things. A tornado touches down in our town and destroys everything. Right? How do we give thanks in all circumstances? What Paul is not telling us is to thank God for evil circumstances. But rather, even in the midst of evil circumstances, we have a reason to give thanks because our hope is still in God. We dealt with this some when we were looking at the issue of rejoicing always, right? That we have to have a different perspective of what is happening in our life to be able to rejoice always. And here too, we have to have a different perspective of the circumstances that befall us so we can give thanks always. Because even in the midst of evil circumstance, God is still God and God is still good. God is still holy. God is still loving. God is still just. And indeed what Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And this verse isn't to be used as a trite response to a terrible situation. But rather, in the midst of dark and difficult times, we can still thank God that he has not abandoned us. Right? Psalm 23 is the the perfect example of that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. We thank God that he has not abandoned us. Even if it may feel that way, we know he is not. We thank God that he will use this present situation to affect us, affect in us something far greater than the immediacy of the pain and the hurt. 
So let me say that again. In the midst of evil days, we can thank God that he has not abandoned us and that he will use the situation to conform us to the image of his son. All the pain and suffering that the Christian experiences are preparing for him, preparing him for the glories of heaven. Every such moment is not wasted, but is redeemed by our great God and Savior. And so Paul tells the Ephesian church something very similar here, right? Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20, always and for everything, in every circumstance. Gratitude is the attitude of the Christian. And I'm sorry that I went with the cheese there, but I felt it, it had to happen. But seriously, though. As one commentator puts it, ingratitude is characteristic of ungodliness. Or to say that positively, gratitude is characteristic of godliness. Gratitude is characteristic of godliness. If God loves you, beloved, what more do you need? And I mean that sincerely. If God loves you, what more do you need? If God loves you, then don't think for a moment that he has abandoned you. And don't think for a moment that he will not redeem the situation you find yourself in. So, go to God in prayer and thank him for his goodness towards you. Thank him for the sacrifice of his son that saves you. Thank him that he is working out your salvation, your sanctification, He's making you into the likeness of his son. Thank him that all the pain will one day be forgot. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Thank him that injustice will be corrected. Thank him that he has not treated you as your sins deserve. Do you have reason for thanksgiving? If you believe in Christ, you always do. In every circumstance. So give thanks always. And when you experience earthly blessings, when you experience good things, I spend a lot of time talking about the bad things because I think that's where we tend to find ourselves most apt to not be thankful to God. But when you experience earthly blessings, when, when you experience good circumstances, give God thanks all the more. Don't be ungrateful as even the children of Israel were, when they entered into the promised land, they quickly forgot God. They enjoyed all the blessings and said, Who do, why do we need God anymore? Don't do that. But thank God that he has given you more than you deserve. Practice gratitude. And this is not a mere suggestion of Paul's. This is God's will. So let's look at that at the end of verse 18. God's will. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We've seen this phraseology before in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Both there as in here, the encouragement is given that these things that Paul is talking about are not just his, uh, not just his suggestions. They're not just mere 
uh, thoughts that he had come into his mind. You know, he was writing a letter and he still had like a quarter of the page left. And so he's like, what can I say that'll fill this out and make, like make most use of this uh, paper? Because paper's obviously expensive, uh, more so than, than it is today. No, he's not just trying to fill out a page. Rather, he says, this is a matter of obedience to the will of God for us. Rejoicing, praying, thanksgiving, these are not suggestions, but what God has designed for us to do. Brother or sister in Christ, I'm not sure what you make of prayer, but God would have you pray. And time fails to to, uh, see how important prayer is. Especially we could go to the life of Jesus in his earthly ministry where we see Jesus praying constantly. Or we could go and we could investigate and see how important it was to him. So much so that he sacrificed sleep on occasions in order to spend the appropriate time in prayer. Let me go ahead and tell you there are very rare rare occasions where I'll sacrifice sleep for anything. So how important must prayer be? We were designed to talk with God. Go back to the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve uh, live in communion with God. What was the practice every day? God would come into the garden and talk with them. That is before the fall, right? After the fall, things change. But God lovingly condescends to his creatures. And so let us avail ourselves of our creator's And more than that, our Father's ear. You want to know the will of God for you? Start here. Right? So if you want to know, God, what is your will for my life? Begin here. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Start practicing these things. You want to know what God would have you spend time on? Start here. Start practicing them. Start, start obeying these commands. We at times uh, like to overcomplicate things when it comes to God's will. We want this neon sign from heaven to come down and to uh, point the direction out or at least give us involved this uh, direction, which if it was a neon sign, that'd be very hard to do. But, you know, let's not abuse the metaphor. Uh, but, right, we like to overcomplicate things. And sometimes, sometimes our motivation behind that desire to overcomplicate is this. We don't like what we see in the scripture, right? We want to feel special and have this special calling and we want to be special agents of God, right? That That's what we want. And then we come to the scripture and we see this is the will of God for you. Pray, uh, re- rejoice, pray, give thanks. And we're like, that seems kind of boring. That, that doesn't excite me. That's not special enough. Sometimes we have this motivation for desiring the will of God because we don't want to do what we've already been told. But how will we ever hear from God if we're not in the practice of talking to Him? Talking with Him. Right? How, how will we know God's will about the, the specific things in our life that he wants us to do if we're never obeying the general things and if we're never going to him in prayer and communicating with him? Why should we think we will receive complex instruction when we don't obey the simple? 
So let us attend ourselves to these things as is proper for the people of God. Let us attend to them together. Because right, Paul is writing this to a church. And these are not just commands for individual Christians to carry out. These are commands for the church to carry out. So church, let us be about these things. Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. Attend ourselves to this. Isn't it just God's will for us as individuals? It's God's will for us as a church, as a community of believers. Let us attend to them together when we're gathered, and let us attend to them in secret when we're at home. The will of God is this, that you would joyfully seek Him in prayer. And Paul, in our passage today, gives us exhortations to pray without ceasing and to always offer thanksgiving to God. Right? And it's not just mere encouragement that he's given to us. They're actual instructions that we're to obey, to attend to these things. And so, Christian, this morning, I would ask you, what do you make of prayer? How much time do you give to prayer in your life? More than that, how often do you go to God and you offer thanks in Christ Jesus for the hope? that you have. Too often, we fail to attend to these commands, and thus we find ourselves adrift in joylessness. And true, we may at times be in good circumstances, and so joy comes easy. But as soon as some evil befalls us, we go back to questioning the goodness of God. We go back to our joylessness. But brothers and sisters in Christ, go to God. And treat him for his grace. Call to him in your need and call to him in your plenty. Seek him constantly. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And whether you admit it or not, whether you are cognizant, Uh, aware of it or not, you are in constant need of His grace, His power, His mercy, His love, His goodness. You are in need of Him to fight against temptation and be delivered from the evil one. You are in need of Him to be quick to forgive and to be slow to anger. You are in need of Him to support your lagging spirit and to bring joy to your heart. You are in need of Him to not be anxious and to no longer worry. And what grace He will show you. What grace He has shown you in Christ. What reason you have to thank Him always for sparing your soul from the pit of hell. So rejoice and pray. And give thanks, for this is God's will for you. But some of you lack His grace. Some of you don't know of His saving gift, and you have no real reason to offer thanksgiving. And certainly the thought of giving thanks in the midst of suffering or pain or bad or evil, destruction, disaster, is is foolish, is stupid. Understand this, apart from repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the will of God for you is that you will perish and suffer His divine, just judgment for all eternity. And you may not think that you deserve such a harsh penalty, but that is only because you fail to understand the reality of your sin, all the evil that you think and say and do. 
You fail to understand that you have offended a holy, righteous God, and accordingly the sentence of death must be carried out against you. Oh, but if you would just look to Christ Jesus, if you would but confess your sin to God and trust in the atoning work of Christ on the cross, then you would be saved. Jesus bore the wrath of God for his people's sins, and there is provision enough for you if you believe. So repent of your sin this moment. Turn from it and turn to God. Believe the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. Believe and have reason to rejoice always. Pray this moment for God to save you. And don't stop praying thereafter. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. O Father in heaven, great and glorious, mighty and all good, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your work uh, of saving work of Christ. God, we thank you that you have not treated us as our sins deserved. God, we thank you that you have been slow to anger, that you have been long-suffering towards us. God, we thank you for all of the goodness that you have shown us. God, we thank you for those of us whom you have saved, whom you have uh, sent your spirit to indwell us, to regenerate us, to open our eyes and our ears to see and hear and understand the good news of Christ and so believe it. God, we thank you for so much. God, we thank you that we draw breath this morning. God, we thank you that it is in you that we have all things. God, we thank you that you are working in us, are conforming to the image of Christ, and that one day these corrupted mortal bodies will put on incorruptible, immortal flesh. And so be with, so be with you forever. Oh, Father, what a little thing, the evil that befalls us in this life in comparison to that eternal weight of glory to come. And so we give you thanks, our Father, that you show us such beauties and glories as you have in your word. Oh, Father, we pray that we would, our hearts would be quick to come to you. Father, that we would come to you in prayer for all that we need. And even in this moment, Lord, those things that are pressing upon us, those things that we need from your hand, the wisdom we need, the strength we need, the grace and mercy that we need, Father, we pray for it right now. And we believe that you will, in your goodness, give us all that we need. You've already given us your Son, You've given us the greatest thing. How will you not also with him give us all things? As your word says. And Father, we pray this morning for those who don't know you. We pray, Father, for those who have no reason to give thanks because were you to call them to account in this moment, they would die forever in their sin. God, we pray that you would have mercy upon them. 
Father, that you would send your spirit to indwell them and to regenerate them and so that they would believe, God, that they would confess in this moment their sins and trust in Christ. Do this work to the praise of your glory and for their good. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your blessed Son, Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen.